We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Second Chronicles chapter 32, and uh, tonight, you know, I wanted to do the whole chapter, but we hit this one section that is so epic that uh, I think we're just going to cover verses 1 through 23, and we read here in verse 1, it says, After these deeds, Second Chronicles 32 verse 1, these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. You know, it's interesting uh, when we read that in verse 1, that they were after these deeds of faithfulness. You know, our, our tendency is to think that when we are genuinely faithful to God, that we will be immune from the attacks of the enemy, that that's not going to happen, right? That he can't come knocking on our door or cause any problems in our family because I've been faithful to God. I've been doing these faithful deeds for God. But, but here we see, and we're going to see in our study today, that uh, Hezekiah's experience and countless other men and women really throughout church history and even in the Bible tell us the contrary. They tell us otherwise, that if you are doing deeds of faithfulness, if you're engaged in the work of the ministry, then you will be a target. You will be attacked by our adversary. And he comes right here after these deeds of faithfulness. You know, the king of Syria, Syria, he comes and, and he enters Judah and he encamps against the fortified cities. And what does he want to do? He wants to win them over to himself. It's like, wait a minute, time out. That belongs to Judah. That belongs to God's people. But the enemy wants to come in and take things that belong to God, that belong to us, the people of God. He wants to take those things away from us. And that just is so many things. It could be ministry. It could be family. It could be your children. It could be the blessings that God has for you, the things that belong to you. He wants to come in and win them to himself. That's what he tries to do. And, and what we have to do, you guys, is we have to learn from this. You know, I, I encourage you to be faithful. That's really what it's all about, these deeds of faithfulness, the heart of faithfulness. You know, one day when we stand before God, he's not going to say, well, how famous were you? He'll just ask, how faithful were you with the things that I gave you to do, with your family, with the ministry, with the gifts and talents that I, that I blessed you with, Right? And that's going to be the main thing. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so I do encourage you to be faithful, but then be ready. Because if you're faithful, then the enemy will attack you. You know? I mean, I think of Job. He's probably the greatest example of that. Here's a guy who loved God, he feared God, and he shunned evil, and he prayed for his family every day. He'd wake up in the morning just in case they messed up and, you know, in case they sinned, and they, he offered sacrifices for them, and he was so right on. And he was probably one of the most upright men, if not the most upright man on planet Earth. And so Satan came, and he talks to God, and he just, you know, he's, he's, he says, I want to get him. 
And God said, okay, well, you know, you can do this. He gives them the parameters. But at the end of the day, what we find is that, you know, when you're faithful, when you're seeking God, then you are going to be a target. So remember that, you guys. It's like clockwork. Be faithful, then be ready. Okay? And then be courageous. I would even say be confident. Because here's the thing, you know, uh, and I pray that we would know this, that God is faithful. God is faithful to deliver his people who cry out to him. You know, we're going to learn that in our study here in 2 Chronicles 32 as we study such an important act of God. We're going to see that. It's all about what he does. And this uh, historical account is actually found three different times in the Bible. God repeats it over and over again here. And if you're taking notes, it's in 2 Kings 18 and 19. I encourage you to read it because there's more information there. And also Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. So it's in the book of Isaiah. It's in 2 Kings. It's in Chronicles, right? I mean, it's, it's over and over again because God really wants you to know this. I mean, you don't misunderstand me. God wants you to know the whole Bible, but there are even some things in the Bible, I think, that in one sense, God highlights. God circles. God says, I want to tell you this once, and then twice, and then I'll put it over here three times. Because of the fact that it's so important. It's, it's confirmation. The way that I see it, you guys, is this. You're, you're going to go through things in life that in one sense, you're going to feel like you're surrounded. You know, you're going to feel like, in one sense, like there's no way out. You know, I think of Psalm chapter 40, verse 12. Uh, it's a psalm of David, who was a very godly man. But this is what he said. He said, For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I'm not able to look up. They're, they are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart, it fails me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're going through something right now. Um, maybe not. Sometimes we get breaks in that type of action. But, you know, you're going to face something in your life. It will happen eventually, inevitably. You're going to face something in your life, either through the failures of life or through the successes as a Christian. And one day, you're going to find yourself, you feel like there's no way out. You're surrounded by your enemies. I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys have been there. Um, you know, you feel like, man, uh, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get out of this one. You're doubting because you don't know how God could possibly pull you out. So then what happens is the doubt, it moves to um, discouragement. And the discouragement finds its way towards depression and then sometimes even to despair of life. People don't want to live anymore. They don't want to go on anymore. They don't want to be a Christian anymore. They don't want to serve in the ministry anymore. Don't want to be a husband anymore, a mom, a dad, or whatever that role and responsibility might be. I don't want to serve the Lord anymore. That can happen. And you know, you might think, well, it only happens to the bad people. No, it happened to David. It can happen to any of us. So what do you do when you're surrounded? What do you do when you're surrounded? You know, we got to know this stuff because one day you're going to be surrounded. You know, we were talking the other day, one of our chaplain uh, training things, and they were telling us what to do in the case of uh, an active shooter. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of hesitate to tell you guys this. I don't want to freak you out, you know. 
But what do you do, like, if you're in the theater or whatever, you're in, the, you're in your, your, your job place, or it won't happen at church. Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen at church. But, man, what do you do if someone comes in and they start shooting? What do you do? And they were telling us a few things. Number one is you run, you know, you try to get out. So if the guy comes in this way, you guys go out that way. That's kind of cool. Uh, the other uh, option, if that's not an option, is to hide you know, if you got nowhere to run, you know, go into some room over there, lock the door, and, you know, call 911. So either you run or you hide. Uh, the other one is, uh, is you fight. If you got to fight, you got to fight. See? And so all I'm saying is that there are things to do in certain scenarios. For us, what do we do when, on that day, we're surrounded by our enemy? Some people, they, they, they take their life. Some people, they don't serve the Lord anymore. Some people, they distance themselves from everybody, and that's not what God wants them to do. Some people, they drop out of ministry. Some, they just kind of drop out. They quit. They split. What do you do, though, when you're surrounded by your enemy? You know, we're going to learn that from Hezekiah today. And I pray that we would take it to heart because, man, there are lessons that we all, we, all need, we all need to know. Look what we read here in verse 2. It says, And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs, which were outside the city, and, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. What do you do? Well, one thing we see Hezekiah do here is he doesn't isolate himself. He, he goes and he talks to the captains and the leaders, and, and he gets help. He gets help. You know, for us, the, the first thing we see there is he goes to the leaders. When he finds out that this is war, this is real, this is war, this is someone trying to take our life. They're going to siege us. They're going to take away our food. They're going to make us eat our waste. They're... They're, the Assyrians were cruel. You guys, when you study the, the, the Assyrians, they had already by this time, four years into Hezekiah's reign, they had conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And so, you know, when they conquered cities, you guys remember, they were so cruel, they were so wicked, that when God told Jonah to go and to warn the Ninevites who were of the Assyrian country, he didn't even want to go there. He went the other way because they were so bad that God said, Jonah said, I don't want to go because if I go, they might repent and they might get right and I just want them to die because they're so bad. They would go to towns uh, and, uh, and they would take the leaders and they would impale them in front of the cities. They would cut off hundreds of heads and they would put them up in a pile just to intimidate those, the, the city that they were going to conquer. They would cut off limbs, gouge out eyes, put people, hooks in their mouths, carry them away. I mean, they would maim them. They were the worst. They would rape. They would rip women open. I mean, they were, they were terrible. 
And, and so, you know, right here, when Hezekiah finds out that the Assyrians, this is now 14 years into his reign, and, and when you read 2 Kings 18, you know, you kind of get the full story. Hezekiah had tried some other things, and it didn't work. Now he just knows they've gone from the fortified cities into Judah. Eventually, they're going to come up to Jerusalem to get the home. He says, okay, well, I know this is war now. I realize that. And so he starts doing what he's got to do. You know, normally our typical uh, reaction would be to isolate ourselves. Here he doesn't do that. He knows what he has to do. He goes and he consults with the leaders. It's so cool. Even though he's the crown king of the country with the title and the ultimate responsibility to lead, he's smart. He's intelligent because he doesn't do it alone. He consults with his leaders. And, and there's wisdom there, you guys, that we get counsel. You talk to somebody. Proverbs 15.22, it says, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors they are established. In other words, successful plans normally require a plurality of people taking part in those plans. You know, especially like if you're overseeing a church or ministry or, or a business or, you know, if you're in territory that you don't really know everything, you know, you're not an expert in various fields, you go and you talk to people who know. I, the other, not too long ago, probably about two weeks ago, I was in a situation where I, I was like, man, I really don't know what to do in this case. You know, one of the guys from the board, he called me up. He said, well, why don't you ask, you know, Pastor so-and-so. He's been doing this for whatever, you know, 42 years and and he always shoots straight. He always tells us, you know, not what we want to hear, but really the, he gives us the good biblical answer. And so it was cool. I was able to call him up and talk to him, and I, and I felt at peace about that, you know. So when you're surrounded, who do you call? Who do you really go to for, for biblical counsel? Is it somebody that will tell you what you want to hear? Or is it somebody that will tell you the truth? Don't isolate yourself. You've got to go to somebody, right? BNIV says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Again, not that you necessarily relinquish your leadership responsibility, but you do ask for counsel. You know, who do you turn to? Uh, I want to ask you guys that question. Who do you talk to? Who do you listen to? If you don't have anybody, then you're in big trouble. Well, I can't trust anybody. Then you're in big trouble. Big trouble. You have to have somebody that, that you can talk to. You bounce things off of. And the second question is, if they tell you something that you don't want to hear, if their opinion is different than yours, then, then how do you take it? Well, they're wrong. I don't know, you guys. If we listen to the wisdom of others, we will grow strong. That's why we need wisdom. We need counsel. I, I like Proverbs uh, 24, 5 and 6. It says, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. How? How does he increase strength? For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's what Hezekiah does right here. He, he goes in verse 3, he consulted with his leaders and his commanders. And it says in verse 3 that they helped him. They helped him, see? 
Even the other day, my wife and I went to a, a dinner and, uh, you know, probably about, I don't know, 30 other couples and their, their senior pastors and their wives and we're asking questions and we're talking, we're trying to learn this thing. Nobody has it all figured out yet. And so I asked them a question about, you know, being married and being in the ministry. You guys have been doing it for so long, you know, give us some advice, give us some counsel. We, we need that. And so that's what Hezekiah does. Not only that, you notice how they start working, you guys? I don't know if you noticed that, but, you know, they consulted. And so what do they do? They stop the water from the springs, it says in verse 4. And all these people gather together and, and, and they took care of that. Because they didn't want, you know, the enemy to come in and have some fresh water supply, right? No, they're going to do what they can. And then they go in verse 5 again and they're, strengthening themselves how they're building up the wall that was broken and they built it all the way up to the towers and they built another wall for protection i mean they're what are they doing they're working they're they're working now huh you know and there you are and you're surrounded what are you doing you're worrying or you're you know you're you're without energy doing nothing about it how are you going to make it if you're doing nothing? D.L. Moody used to say, work as if it all depends on you, but pray as if it all depends on God, right? See, man has his responsibility, but ultimately it's up to God in his sovereignty. And the way that it works is we can't be weird. Don't be weird Christians, right? We do our part. God does his part. A man has his responsibility, but God is the one that ultimately makes the final decision. For example, if you need a job, and I know you guys know this, but just to, you know, as an example, um, we knock on every door tirelessly looking for a job, sending out resumes, but we don't fail to knock on heaven's door praying, right, for a job. You know, we, I don't know, hopefully you guys have it in your heart to take care of your, yourself physically, right? We take care of our bodies the best that we can, but we pray for God to take care of us too. When Ray was sick, you know, I'm sure they were giving him medicine. He was doing everything he could, but we were praying for him as well, right? We do our part, God does his part. Wise is the one who knows both, and they do both with intensity, right? We do our best to raise our children, loving them, disciplining them, teaching them the word, with our lips as well as our lives, but we also pray with all of our hearts, knowing that it's got to be the Lord. They have to choose the Lord. We do our part, and God does His. Of course, God by far has the most important part because without Him, we would have no hope. But the thing that we got to know is that He wants us to work and and to behave, and, and to believe, and to stop the water, and to build the walls, and to do whatever we have to do in order to get that victory when we're surrounded by the enemy. And that's exactly what Hezekiah is doing here. I always think of Proverbs 21:31: the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. And you guys probably heard me say that verse so many times that you're probably sick of it. You're like, use another verse. Well, it's the same truth, you know? I mean, the horse, you get it ready, you feed it, you learn how to ride it, you get it ready for the battle, and, you know, you do your part. And then one day, you know, um, we're out there in the battle, and God is the one to determine whether or not we'll get the victory. And so what do you do when you're surrounded? 
Look at verse 6. It says, And then he set his military captains over the people. He gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with them, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And again, you know, here we see Hezekiah. He, uh, he moves in the military. Um, he's setting up people there in verse 6. We saw earlier in verse 5 that he made weapons and shields. And some say that's uh, in reference to javelins. I mean, you know, he's doing the military thing. But he doesn't uh, put all of his confidence there. He, here's the thing that I hope you guys you catch. This guy is confident. I mean, it would be like Joe Namath. He said, we're going to win the Super Bowl. You know? I was like, wait a minute, Joe. You know, I know you're a good quarterback or anything, but how do you know you're going to win? He just, I just know. I have that confidence. And, and a lot of times we have to, I think we have to take that into our spiritual walk, you guys. There should be a confidence in the Lord. You shouldn't, we shouldn't be walking around like Eeyore, you know, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, and woe is me, and we're, I'm dead, and you're like, uh. And God's like, if you're like, uh, you're not going to win. You're not going to prevail. You're not going to get out of it. You've got to know how big, how awesome your God is. Your God is for you. Your God is for your family. Your God is the, is the star-speaking God. Your God is the one who made every single star. He maintains them. He knows them all by name. That's your God. He's in your corner. And right here, when Hezekiah reaches this point, even though he's surrounded by the Assyrians, and, and he knows we don't got the military might. And, you know, even the Assyrians, they make fun of him. They, we'll, we'll give you a whole bunch of riders and horses, you guys, if you want, man. But... They didn't have a chance. And maybe one day you're going to be facing something or you feel like you're facing something or whatever it might be. And, and I, I just pray that we would pull from this. Hezekiah, he, he, he's such a good leader. And he's just like, man, I, God's going to do it, you guys. And he, and he just encourages the people, right? I mean, it's just so cool. He moves, yes, with his military. That's fine, but... He ultimately trusts in the Lord and he cares for the people knowing that the enemy often weakens and paralyzes us with fear. With fear. You're weak. You won't move because you're afraid. The enemy, that's the way he operates. He attempts to make us cowards as Christians. Hezekiah knows that and therefore does what he can to infuse them with courage. And the four words we find over and over and over again in the Bible are right here once again. Do not be afraid. Right? Why not? Why not? Don't you see? We're surrounded. And do you see who we're surrounded by? And look at us and look at them. I mean, do you not see my situation? And Hezekiah says, I see, I see Sennacherib, but I also see my Savior. 
right? I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, there's more with us than with them. With us is the Lord, our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And you guys know Romans 8.31, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Can you answer that question, please? If God is for us, then who can be against us? No one. Nobody. Nothing. No one. Right? Then why do we get so bummed? Why do we get so afraid? And, and if God is for us, and the thing is that we got to know, even if he was the only one who was for us, because sometimes you're like, well, I don't know if I have anybody else, it doesn't matter. Because when God is for us, just the one outnumbers all the others. That's what Hezekiah says right here. In verse 7, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. Later, we're going to see there were 185,000 soldiers. Don't be afraid of them. Why? Because there are more with us than with him. Right? And, and, and I think, you guys, we need to know that. You know, I think of many instances in the Bible where numbers, uh, you know, they weren't the determining factor, and God wants to just tell us that time and time again. I think of Gideon in Judges chapter 6, when uh, the Lord came to him, and this is a quick side note, Gideon was the weakest guy in the weakest clan. God chose him and said, okay, I want you to go, and I want you to fight the Midianites, because they were doing a lot of damage. Even today, if I could just use that as a side note, you can make a difference. Do you want to? Do you care? Do you care for all the hurting people? On the way in here, we had a homeless guy out there. My heart goes out to him. You know, let me talk to you. Do you know Jesus? Here, can I get you a cup of coffee? What about all the other homeless people? Well, we can't help them. So you're not going to try? What about all the, the people that are lost? Do you care? Do you want to make a difference? Can you make a difference? Yes, you can. All the poor people all around the world in Cambodia, all the kids that are going hungry, all the, the babies that are being aborted, can we make a difference? Oh, I can't make a difference. I can't do anything, right? I mean, we have that mentality, so we don't even try. And I think at the end of the day, we just have to come back to the fact that God can make a difference. God can change everything. He is able do you want to be a part of it, yes or no? That's the question. And then as you're part of it, then God, you know, he's just saying, well, do you believe? I mean, can we really make a difference? That's where Hezekiah was. He was, he was really believing, and, and God saw the, the Israelites, and God saw the Midianites, and it was just a terrible place for them in the history of their nation. And so... You know, um, what ends up happening is God chooses Gideon, and Gideon, again, he's weak. He's part of the weakest clan, but he's asking for confirmation. God says, yes, I want to use you. Yes, I want to use you. Yes, I want to use you. I'm not worthy. I can't do it. I already know that. You're not worthy. You can't do it. I still want to use you. And Gideon says, okay, I'll go out there to battle. He's got 32,000 soldiers on his team, and the other guys have 135,000 soldiers. 32,000, and so Gideon is like, well, I guess we'll try. And the Lord says, well, you got too many soldiers. And so this is what he does. The Lord tells Gideon, tell all your soldiers, if any of you guys are afraid, then go away. If you're afraid, then leave. 22,000 soldiers leave. 
So now he's left with 10,000 against 135,000. I don't know about you, but I think that's not very many. But then the Lord says, you still got too many. You still got too many. So what he does is he tells them, this is the way I'll thin the ranks. You take the guys down to the water and, and you just tell them to take a drink. And, and the ones that, that lap like a dog, they get on their knees and they lap like a dog, uh, they're going to be in a certain group. And the ones that cup the water like this, and they're going to be a certain group. And, and the ones that cup the water like this, there were 300 of them. Uh, all the rest, uh, and then some people say this, that, that, the, that what they did was they were careless. And so God says, okay, get rid of them. So he was left with 300 soldiers. And God says, okay, now I can get the glory. Now I can get the glory. And with the 300, they utterly defeated the 135,000. Warren Wiersbe used to say this, if you can explain it, then God didn't do it. I tell you what, I want to be involved in things that cannot be explained. That's where we should be as, as Christians, you know, just following the Lord, doing what he calls us to do. You got, you know, 22,000 soldiers, 10,300, it doesn't matter. What you got to be is you got to be like Hezekiah right here. You got to be like Gideon. You, you got to be like Jonathan. I love Jonathan. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And, you know, when everybody was sitting around doing nothing, that's what was going on in the, in the Israelite army. They're all sitting around, shaking in their boots, doing nothing. And Jonathan just said, hey, in, John, in 1 Samuel 14, 6, he said to the young man who was his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. You know, maybe you're a Jonathan and God's stirring you up and God's just saying, do it. Do it. Take a step of faith. Do something crazy for me. Not, not in flippant, you know, reckless, like not praying over it, but just it's stirring in your heart. You're bringing it to the Lord. God wants you to take a step of faith and, and, and you do it, even though it's impossible. It happens all the time. And God honors that, even though he was only two. Jonathan and his armor bearer. And even though the odds were against them, they were going to go up and attack. He just said, well, if it's the Lord, then we can't lose. Right? I remember reading a story about a little boy, and he was, uh, he was outside the, the Sunday school. I guess church was over, and then so the, one, of the, one of the guys, one of the dads, he saw him out there, and, and he said, oh, I'll ask him a question about the study today. You know, what did you, what'd you learn in the study today? Can you tell me? I heard you guys were studying about the power of God. He said, um, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an apple if you can tell me something great that God can do. And the little boy looked at the man. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a, a box of apples if you can tell me something great that God can't do. Now, we need some more of that. Right? I mean... Hezekiah's like, it's okay, it's all right. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. I think of Gideon and Jonathan. I think of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. That's a beautiful story there. And uh, the, the thing that I like about that, that I think is related to this in so many ways, is if you guys remember the story, what had happened was this, 
the Syrian army, they, they, were, they were upset because Elisha knew everything that was going on and he was, he was able to defeat them at every place. And so, you know, the, the king of Syria, he said, I don't get it. It's like they know our every step we're going to make before we make it. And who's this, you know, the, the spy? Who's the one that's telling him our information? And then they said, it's not that. It's just that Elisha, this one guy, Elisha, he, he knows what you're saying in your bedroom. God just reveals it to him. And so he said, okay, well, let's go get him. And so they went to, I think it was Dothan. They went to that city over there and they surrounded it. I mean, and they had horses and they had soldiers and they had chariots. So it would be like a city surrounded with tanks. And, oh, man, it's like crazy. And so the servants of Elisha, they came to him. And they're like, master, master, we're surrounded. And Elisha just said, don't worry. There are more with us than with them. And they're like, well, I don't see anything. I see the chariots and the horses. And I see the, the odds are against us. And Elisha prayed, God, open their eyes. And the Lord answered his prayer and the Lord opened their eyes and they saw just the hosts of angelic warriors that were with them, surrounding them, protecting them, fighting for them. And I, and I think that for me, I think that, and I need it too, and I bet you some of you here might need it too. You just need to open. You need to be able to see more than you've been seeing because you've been blind. God says, I want you to see. You don't have to be afraid. I want you to see the great victory I'm giving to you. I want you to see that. You know, right here we see it's crazy. You know, Ezekiah, he's not, he's not afraid and he's telling the people to be strong and to be courageous. And, you know, those guys, they got flesh. They got some, you know, buff human biceps. But with us is the Lord and he's going to help us and he's going to fight our battles. And, and it was just so cool that people were strengthened by his words. And so after this, in verse 9, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, he sent his servants to Jerusalem but he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, this, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, The Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their land out of my hand? Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you 
from my hand. And, and, he, and he's talking to the leaders, and when you put the story together, he, he's talking in then their Hebrew language. He's trying to get to the people, trying to just bring in what my friend used to always tell me. I had a friend a long time ago. His name was Mark, and he used to tell me all the time, God wants to come in and swing a sword of doubt and discouragement. Doubt and discouragement. It's a double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement. And that's what this guy's doing right here. He comes up and he tries to swing that sword of doubt and discouragement. You know, he's lying. He's saying you can't trust your leader and you can't trust your Lord. But you, you can, huh, you guys? You know that, right? You know you can trust your Lord. And, and when the leaders of the Lord are doing things to the best of their ability, according to his word, then you can trust them. Hezekiah was a really cool king. He was true. He was trustworthy. He had, he had taken down the altars, like uh, Sennacherib was saying right here. And, uh, but he had done so for the right reasons. It's interesting, when you put it all together, and the different dynamics that are involved, but... You know, what he's basically saying is that he tore down all those other altars. It's kind of like saying this. And so he's eliminating the possibility of you praying to all these other gods. Hezekiah is like isolating it to one god. Like it's only one altar now and one god now. But he's saying, but what, you know, I mean, look at my track record, Sennacherib is saying. All those other gods, they were never able to stop me. And your God, he's not going to make a difference. Nothing can stop me. And that's what the enemy wants us to buy into. You know, and that just, it plays out in so many ways. You know, as we're battling for our loved ones, do you believe that God is able? Yeah, I believe God is able, but, you know, I really doubt my loved one. You, you have no faith. I mean, you got to get, you, we got to fight. I mean, when you read the Bible, it's interesting. There were always votes of confidence. When Paul would write to the Philippians, there's a vote of confidence. When he's writing to the Hebrews, there's a vote of confidence. I'm going to fight for you. And I'm going to believe that God is going to reach you. And I'm going to pray and we're going to see. This is what, you know, Hezekiah does. It's just so cool. But the enemy, he tries to strip that away from us, Right? I mean, he says, it's never happened before. No god or gods of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver their people from my hand. How much less will your God do so? And the enemy uses that sometimes. I remember, and maybe you guys have heard this story before, but when we first tried to get this building right here, the city council, they told us, no, it nev we've never done that in Almani. That won't happen. No, they said no. It, it doesn't happen. It hasn't happened. It's never happened. It won't happen. But we just prayed. We said, okay, okay, it's never happened. Okay, I hear what you're saying. But we just prayed. And for us, we didn't have a lot of money back then. But we had, you know, they said, you know, it's going to cost you $1,700 to apply. You got to go before the city council. You got to have the, the vote and planning commission. And it was just a whole bunch of red tape. And, and God just said, try anyways. And you guys know, I mean, here we are even though it had never happened. You guys, how big is your God? And, and your faith, where is your faith? Is your faith in Him? 
I pray that it is because that's what we're, lear- we're learning. I mean, you know, right here, doubt, discouragement, trying to weaken the faith, right? And we have to have that, that heart. I don't know if you, do any of you guys, what is it called, MMA? Is that what it's called? Mixed martial arts? I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anybody, but you know, you, you see that where the buildup, huh? You mean the boxing matches, even the MMA matches. I remember even the wrestling matches when I was in high school a long time ago. You know, the mental and psychological warfare that, you know, supposedly preceded the showdown were actually a, a huge part of the showdown. It, it makes a huge difference in the actual fight. That psychological and mental uh, way of, of thinking it often determines whether you win or lose before you ever fight. And, and that's what the enemy is trying to do here. He wants to get in our head. He wants to get in our heart. He wants to weaken our faith with fear because fear and faith, they don't function well together. Unless we face our fears with faith, but whatever you do, don't let fear grip you or strip you of God's promises you got to know this. you got to believe in your God. you got to believe in your God. you got to believe in his word. you got to believe in his promises. You have to know that faith opens the door of your destiny. And doubt will slam it shut. You will never be used by God if you don't believe in him. And by that, I'm not talking about his existence or whether or not you became a Christian one day way back then and Praise God, now you're saved, but I'm talking about believing in him and all his promises. You know, I, I remember reading a story of a couple of little girls, and they were just talking, and one of the little girls, she asked the other little girl, how much money you have? She says, I have 10 nickels. And so she show me your 10 nickels. And she opens up her hand, and there's only five. She says, oh, you don't have 10 nickels, you only have five nickels. And the little girl says, yeah, but my daddy told me he's going to give me five more. And my daddy never breaks a promise. You see, that's our God. I'm with you. And I tell you what, if you just got a little mustard seed of faith, I will blow your mind. But you got to believe. You know, we see the tragedy of the heart that doubts in Matthew thirteen fifty eight, it says, Now he, Jesus, did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And so they limited the Lord. You know, we have to, we have to believe. The enemy comes in, he tries to get in your mind. Don't let him. And so we read in Verse 16, it says, Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. And he also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the peoples of the earth, the work of men's hands. See, 
That's what he wants to do. Frighten them, trouble them. You have fear, not faith. And so I'll take it away. I'll tell you what, you know, I think of my kids. I think of the ministry. And do you not know there's a battle? There's a battle. And so we read in verse 20, Now because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, they prayed and they, and they cried out to heaven. And then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. And so he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring, it was his sons, they struck him down with the sword there. You know, I just, it's found in Second Chronicles 32, 2 Kings 18 and 19, Isaiah chapter 36 and 37 is found three times. You know, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. God really wants us to know this. Repeat it so we won't be defeated. I want you to know this. I want you to know what you do when you're surrounded because you will be surrounded one day. And you will have a choice. You, you can choose fear and isolate yourself or you can choose faith. And, and you run to God and you run to his people and together God just does an amazing victory. And I'm telling you that there are many, many people and I've been seeing them more and more. I look at them and I go and visit them in the hospital and they're coming to the end of their life and they look back and I've talked to a lot of them, and they said, man, be careful of this. Talking even sometimes to my son, Mijo, don't do this because this is where I messed up in life. A lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas and regrets because they had so many reserves. They never really lived fully for the Lord. They never really woke up. They never really had faith. I mean, it was just like always like out of the reach. And, and God is just saying, no, I, I got more for you. There's something wonderful. There's something great. You know, when you look at this, they, these guys, they worked as if it all depended upon them. You got to work hard, but they prayed as if it all depended upon God. And, you know, right there in verse 20, you can't miss this. Because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, they prayed and they cried out to heaven. Are you doing these things? You know, one angel came out, uh, it says in Second Kings, and they wiped out 185,000 Assyrians. Some say it was Jesus. It was the angel of the Lord. And we don't know for sure, you know, but it could have been. And, and it's just a lesson. This is how we, we react when we're surrounded. How, how do you know if you have faith? How do you really know if you have faith? Well, one of the ways you measure the strength of your faith is to measure the strength of your prayer life. How's your prayer life? See, they feed off of each other. They really do. Prayer is so huge. I mean, the late Adrian Rogers, one of my favorite guys in the whole world, man. I can't wait to, to meet up with him one day in heaven, man. But I still listen to his studies and read his books. I got a new one today, and this is what I read about prayer. It says, your spiritual life will never rise above your prayer life. He said, courage is fear that has said its prayers. And he said, the greatest problem we face is not unanswered prayer, 
but unoffered prayer. And when these guys, when they found out, when you read the whole story, they ripped their clothes and it says Hezekiah went into the temple and then when they got the letter, you know, they tell Isaiah to pray and we're praying and these guys are praying and then they go and they get the letter and they just spread it out before the Lord and they said, look, look, Lord. I mean, they're just really, really praying. I mean, I would, I would just encourage you guys and we got to get, finished here but to really pray and also to do this to uh, offer uh, or dedicate a portion of your prayer life to praying with other people that's what hezekiah did i mean imagine this is a pretty cool team huh hezekiah and isaiah whoa that's pretty cool huh i mean here they are it must have been so cool serving and seeking the lord together praying to and obeying the lord together Maybe you're here and you're like, well, I haven't found a perfect person yet. Well, you're never going to find one. (laughs) Just find a friend. Be a friend. And pray with them. Say, hey, can you pray with me? And you'd find, you'll find that when you open up, then they start opening up. But if you got your walls up, they'll keep their walls up. Nothing's going to happen when you do that. And so you start praying together. And so... Five things to do when you're surrounded. And I know uh, there's more here, but just real quick, five things to do. The first is don't be afraid. Okay, don't be afraid. How can you not be afraid? Well, when the Lord would always give the promise, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, because he's always say, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, but Lord, I blew it today. I'm still with you. Yeah, but Lord, I, I, I've blown it the last 27 days in a row. I'm still with you. I will never leave you. Never leave you. Never. Never leave you. You don't have to be afraid because he's with you. Secondly, trust in the Lord. When you're surrounded, don't be afraid because it'll mess you up. Secondly, trust in the Lord. You guys got to believe in him. Trust in him, man. He's going to pull you through. And if it's time for you to die, then praise God. I mean, are you guys okay with dying? When you're a Christian, we're okay with dying. Well, what about my family? He'll take care of them. He knows what's best for them. There is nothing to be afraid of, right? So you're not afraid and you're trusting in God. Those have more to do with heart and attitude. But the last three, they have to do like with practical things. Number three is get godly counsel. Get godly counsel. That's what Hezekiah did. He wasn't by himself. He went and talked, and it was cool what God did. They started doing things, right? Number four, that's what that is. Do your part. Don't be lazy. Work, work, work hard. Do your part. Find out what it is. And then the last thing is pray. I would say this. Pray fervently. Pray seriously, pray soberly, and I would say, I would even say, pray corporately. Get other people involved. Go to prayer meetings. Go to the ladies' prayer meeting on Wednesday. Go to the men's prayer meeting on Saturday morning, or find somebody that you can pray with. There's something about being in a prayer meeting that it just feels good because it is good. That's when you know you're serious. 
And that's when you're going to see God move. You know, God's going to take care of you guys, man. He, he's proven himself faithful time and time again. I'm reminded of that passage in Revelation chapter 20, verse 9. Did you guys know this goes on and on and on and on? Even into uh, the millennial kingdom, it's crazy. In Revelation 20, verse 9, it says, They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded, there's that word again, surrounded the camp of the saints. So that's the enemies coming in and surrounding God's people and the beloved city. You know what the Bible says? And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's cool, huh? Even though we don't want fire to come down, sometimes we do. God will take care of us. He will take care of our enemies. He will, I promise you. When we first got saved, I remember a song we used to sing. Um, I don't know if any of you here remember it. Let me see. I'm trying to think who's old enough here. I think I'm the oldest one. No, Jane would probably know this. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds his people. I love that. And it's actually in the Bible over in, uh, I think it's the Psalms. I have to find out where it's at. But man, really cool passage. You know, and one day you're looking around and the mountains are, are all around you. Or you might even be like Moses at the Red Sea. He's got the mountains on both sides, the Egyptian army. It seems like there's no way out. And God says, it's okay. I'm going to open up the Red Sea. You watch. There is nothing too hard for me. And so um, I pray you guys would know that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just uh, for allowing us, Lord, to be here in the the last of the last days. Thank you for the work you're doing, Lord, and I pray that you would stir us up, Lord, in, in our personal walk with you and the responsibilities that we have with family and in that calling into ministry, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would encourage your people to know... Um, that they have the victory in Christ, that we are more than conquerors in these things, and that you would stir up our faith. Lord, I just thank you for being such a gracious and awesome God, and I pray, Lord, that however you know, it works out in our life, that somehow, and, I, and I'm talking to myself too, Lord, that somehow we would hear uh, this portion of your word and really know how to go out and to live life and to connect the dots. I pray, Father, for any here who don't know you, that today would be the day that they would wake up and just truly understand your love and that they would give you their heart. Please, God. I pray, Lord, for any here that are in the church that got one foot in and one foot out, Lord, and they would know that 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 breaks your heart, Lord, that you love them and you don't want them to be two-timing God. Even how your word says, either you're for me or or you're against me, who are you going to choose? Make a a decision. I pray, Lord, that, that they would choose you. And I just thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunities that we have and when we find ourselves surrounded by our enemies or by these situations that seem impossible, that we would rise up, Lord, and just know 
just like all the, the saints of God and all those who have ever followed you and been used by you throughout the history of the world, they would know there is nothing too hard for God. We thank you, Lord. Give us wisdom in all these things. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.